Welcome to Scavenger's Horde. We're a Star Wars podcast offering thoughts on whatever takes our fancy, be it the latest show on Disney Plus or a weird Legends novelization you may have forgotten existed. If you're new here, let me introduce myself. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 174, and it's 6th of February 2022. We like to kick things off by recommending a piece of media a book, a film, a show, etc, etc, that we've enjoyed and want to put on people's radar. So, Kirsty, what would you like to highlight? Uh, there's been a lot of good stuff recently, so I've really had to be quite strict with myself. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Otherwise I'd have a, a far too long list to um, go through, but um, I'll start with a film I watched the other day on the Criterion channel called This Is Not A Burial, It's A Resurrection. Um, this was just, it blew my mind, it was that stunning. Uh, I really want everyone to watch this and let me know what they think. Um, I feel like I'm not going to do it justice with how I talk about it here. Um, But it's a Lesotho film, so it's set in the Lesotho Kingdom um, in South Africa. And it starts off um, with the news for this widow that her son has been killed in a mining accident. And it follows her journey of grief and um, kind of accepting that she's coming to the end of her own life um, and the news that um, her village is about to be dispersed and destroyed because um, a dam is going to be built in the area right? and the, the village kind of coming together to come to terms with that and, um, and protest against it. And every shot in this film is just so beautiful. Like, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And the sound and the music is just incredible too brilliant so yeah you can watch it on criterion i'm not sure where else maybe i should have done a bit more research but yeah everyone should give that one a go awesome yeah no that sounds really fascinating and yeah when i see someone i really trust like you kirsty give something five stars it absolutely (laughs) makes me sit up and pay attention so yeah i'm gonna try and check it out great um the next one is called the last of sheila this is a very different kind of movie it's a murder mystery And people might have heard about it recently because um, a lot of people have been comparing it to that sneak peek of Knives Out 2 that we got the other day. Um, And I've seen Ryan mention it before as an influence. I can't remember if he was talking about the first Knives Out or the sequel, but it's definitely a very influential murder mystery. And it was written by Stephen Sondheim. Um, It's the only film that he ever wrote. Um, so this is a 1973 film it's like set on a yacht with all these rich frenemies that come together to kind of have a party and like play games and stuff Um, and then obviously it all goes very wrong Um, and I just really enjoyed it it was a lot of fun yeah no I've heard about this I I think it came up a lot on my timeline around the time that Sondheim passed away Mm. Um, and yeah it just looks really interesting and entertaining Um, and as people will tell from the list I'm about to share of my movies um, I really do need more light fun stuff and obviously I know this is clearly still about people being murdered so I know it's not that light but you know I expect it has a bit more spring in its step than a lot of what I've been watching is what I'm trying to say it's yeah it's definitely smart and funny and the characters are often ridiculous um but yeah i really love that one brilliant um and then wanted to recommend a few books but they're they're very short books so you know that might appeal to you or it might not but we had to get through the fallen star by claudia gray this week so i had limited time for reading (laughs) um the first one is called assembly it's by natasha brown and uh, i think this is only about 100 pages long um 
it follows a young black woman living in the UK. Um, she graduated into like the credit crunch, Great Recession time, and she works in finance. And she has this very upper class white boyfriend and she's invited to go to his family's garden party in the English countryside. And it kind of follows her on that journey and um, kind of navigating that relationship and differences in class and um, life experience and expectations and um, kind of wrestling with the colonial legacy of of that dynamic. Um, And I just, I thought it was very well written. Um, really enjoyed that one. Highly recommend. Um, the second book is called Several People Are Typing by Calvin Kasselka. And this is the kind of book that you're probably even going to love or hate because it's, I don't want to say gimmicky, but it sort of is in that it's all written in like Slack uh, emojis and stuff. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, that would just be too close to work for me, I think. Right, well... <laughs> It was giving me some war flashbacks. Right, yeah. But it feels very timely for, like, the work-from-home era for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, Basically follows this one office um, and their kind of, yeah, their their Slack channel. And one of the characters kind of gets stuck in Slack. Like, they basically disappear from the real world. Or their body's still there, but they're, like, living in the Slack channel. Oh my god, that's and... absolutely nightmare. <laughs> is that is it portray- is it like a horror book or is no, it No, like, no, it's funny? kind of funny. It, it's like a commentary on all sorts of things. Um <laughs> also twisted genius. I mean that's it is twisted, but that's the appeal. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But wow. I I completely get that there'll probably be people who read this and hate it, but I I thought it was fun. <laughs> and and you say it's sure, right? Yeah, the, yeah, both of those ones are pretty short. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's maybe the only circumstances under which I could tolerate that subject matter. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, those are all really fun, unique picks, Kirsty. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, super impressive to me that you got through three books in two weeks, even if two of those were very short books. So kudos. <laughs> How about your picks? Um, yeah, so mine are almost like all comically dark. Um, so I hope people are prepared for a barrel of laughs, starting off with The Cremator, <laughs> directed by um, Juraj Herz, who's a Slovak director. Um, and yeah, it's just a really fascinating film from the late 60s. It's like a bit arty and experimental. It's set like late 30s, early 40s, essentially, um, around the rise of Nazism. And it's basically looking at how normal civilian people become so incredibly twisted by these ideologies and it's kind of like a descent into madness as he becomes more and more bought in into the Nazi outlook on things particularly with regards to the Jewish people Um, and I don't want to talk in much more depth to be honest about exactly what happens in that film because it would spoil things Um, but it just all builds to this climax that's really nightmarish and it's shot in this very experimental dreamlike way and it's just really good (laughs) I'm not being a very good I'm not doing a very good job of selling it but I promise you it's really compelling and really stark and original it's all done in black and white it looks really like striking you know it's incredible filming to it um yeah just check it out you can get on BFI player in the UK and Criterion channel in the US so no excuses if you're in either of those locales because <laughs> you can get it easily and relatively cheaply they both offer free trials so yeah check them out mm, i have to add that to my list 
Okay, sweet. Um, then the next one is called Mass, which is a new film, um, and that's directed by Fran Kranz. Um, and I watched that on Now TV in the UK. Um, I don't know where you could watch it in the US, um, but somewhere, I'm sure, it is an American film. Um, and it's a very small scale film. There's just four main characters, and it's basically about two sets of parents who get together in the aftermath of a school shooting to have a very serious conversation about exactly what happened in that school shooting. And it's just a really, really good character study and a study of like relationships, you know, between parents and children, like questions of guilt, who exactly is accountable in really extreme situations. Um, and again, it's another one where you don't want to spoil exactly what went on and what the relationships are between these people because it kind of unspools over the course of the film. But it's really well done. It's very, very sad and very depressing. So again, I know I'm not doing a great job of selling this. Um, but yeah, if you really love great acting and you're just seeing really brilliant actors like excel at their craft, you know, it's got like Anne O'Dowd, isn't it? Um, I'm not hugely familiar with her, but she was amazing in this and I'd previously seen her in A Handmaid's Tale. Um, she was supporting there, but still really good. I mean, it's also got Jason Isaacs and... I've seen him previously, I think, in only Harry Potter and Peter Pan. Um, so this is quite a change, you know, from those sorts of roles, the more fantastical ones. But again, he gave a really great dramatic performance, um, as did the two other actors whose names I can't recall off the top of my head. But yeah, just watch if you like brilliant performances, essentially. Did you know Jason Isaacs is also in Star Wars? What? what? Is <laughs> He's he genuinely... In- yeah, he's an Inquisitor in Rebels. Oh, okay, okay. For a minute, I felt like I was going a bit crazy. I was like, where, where did <laughs> I miss him? And it's like, okay, I haven't seen Rebels. That's, yeah, few. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not losing my mind. Okay. Um, that is good. Um, yeah, and then finally, I'd really, really like to recommend um, Ballad of a Soldier, um, which is a Russian film from the late 1950s, directed by Grigory Chukre. Um, and that's available on the Criterion channel. Um, and I think it's my only five-star movie for a while. I'm not sure it's my only five-star movie for the year so far, but I tried to be more conservative with my five stars, basically. Um, and yeah, it really just blew my socks off, essentially. I absolutely loved it. It's basically set in World War Two, and it's about a 19-year-old soldier, and he has a lucky break, so he manages to take down two enemy tanks, and his commanding officer basically says, oh, we're going to give you medals, we're going to give you commendations, blah, blah, blah. And the boy says, oh, no, sorry, I don't want any of that. All I want is to go home and see my mother because her roof is leaking. Um, and so the commanding officer gives him leave for just under a week so he can travel back across Russia to his home village and see his mother, essentially. And most of the film is just following him on his journey across the country, like back to see his mum. And it's just so incredibly fascinating and powerful and really beautifully acted. Um, they, The guy they cast as the young soldier, he was a teenager himself and it was his first role, I think, in a film. 
and it really shows you know he feels like so fresh and it's just such like a vivid raw performance you know you can feel like the innocence shining off him and it's just really really great casting and it shows how important the like human element of film is you know by having the right person there they can make all the difference in terms of selling you on a character and the concepts the film's trying to engage with Mm. um and yeah there's also a really beautiful love story um there's a sequence of events that leads to him coming teaming up with another girl basically who's also a teenager and also played by a real life teenager and yeah they just have a really lovely chemistry and rapport between them and they start off like really against each other and distrustful and they gradually you know win each other over and they become really really close and comfortable with each other and it's just really beautifully portrayed you know because often those sorts of relationships you see it a lot but usually it feels very contrived Mm. whereas in this film it felt really organic and beautiful and the climax oh god it just completely melted my heart it's like tragic but it's also really really beautiful and it's just so full of like love and compassion you know for its subjects it's really stunning yeah so i just absolutely adored it and if you watch anything i recommended watch this basically i absolutely loved it okay wow that you're really selling that to me i'm gonna put that on my list right now oh thank you (laughs) (laughs) that honestly i feel so passionate about that one that you know, I also really liked the other two as well, and especially The Cremator. I thought that was really good. Um, but this one, you know, you just see a film and it just touches you really deeply. And that's what happened with this one for me. It was a really awesome feeling. That's great. Yeah, yes, that's fabulous. Okay, great. Um, and we also have one listener email um, that we've had since the last episode that we'd like to read out. So yeah, could you read that out, please, Kirsty? Mm-hmm. Hello, this is Josh, also known as Lava Castle on Twitter. I've been thinking about how I enjoy and engage with Star Wars a lot lately, mostly spurred on by how many friends I've seen move on and their reasons. Even your podcast broadening of subjects has made me consider it a lot, and I honestly feel lost a lot of the time. I don't want to return to the time I cut it out of my life completely, dark times caused by certain decisions made in Legends, but so much of the part of the fandom I vibed with, the Raylo fandom, has moved on, And the remaining parts of fandom that I still engage with seem to be focused on aspects I dislike or have entirely different opinions on its themes. It doesn't help that the current direction of the series as a whole sometimes feels to be trying to ignore what some of us like about Star Wars at best and trying to drive away some of us at worst. I feel like I'm being forced to choose between two extremes, not unlike a certain character in the Book of Boba. As I'm not able to quiet the small voice of hope that one day it won't be like this, but I also feel as if I should just give up. I don't really have a question, and I apologise for the rambling nature of this all. I wonder if there is any right answer of how to feel about it. Maybe it's as simple as no Star Wars, only Raylo for the time being. As always, thank you both for making the show, and hopefully my next message will be less sad. It's always a delight to hear your discussions, and every new episode is a boost of serotonin. P.S. Seriously, you two are awesome, and thank you both. Oh, thank you, Josh. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. (laughs) You're awesome too. Yeah, no, it really means a lot getting those sorts of messages. Um, yeah, they make it feel really like worth doing, basically, you know. And we enjoy, we just enjoy, we just enjoy doing the podcast for its own sake, you know. But it's also just an added bonus when we know people are out there listening and getting something from it. So yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, and I always enjoy seeing your thoughts on Twitter, and I often agree with what you're saying. So it is, uh, yeah, we're we're in similar boats, aren't we? Yeah, like it's tricky. It's like 
I know I feel pretty confident that I'm always going to love Star Wars. You know, I don't think anything they can do to, you know, perhaps in my opinion, mess it up, you know, will take away from the parts that I do love at the moment. You know, like I'm always going to love Force Awakens, Last Jedi, the sequel trilogy characters. I'm always going to love, you know, Star Wars in general as a concept and like have happy childhood memories of watching the original trilogy and stuff. But yeah, I think the most important thing is to remember that being a fan of Star Wars doesn't mean that you're a fan of all Star Wars. <laughs> and you don't have to consume everything and you don't have to like everything and that's okay. So I think people tend to be too hardline about it in either direction. You know, I think sometimes people are like, oh, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Which I, I understand where that's coming from, but I think it can be taken to extremes. And equally other people are like oh everything is awful and hopeless and I'm just completely given up on it and I t don't blame people for doing that to be honest because yeah if something isn't giving you joy anymore why keep going with it you know that makes sense but I think just speaking for myself I always try to hold on to those aspects of Star Wars I do really love and that's not going anywhere but yeah at the same time we're both I think happy to be expanding a little bit at least with our intros you know because it helps to keep us invigorated you know by talking about stuff that we're really passionate about like me speaking about ballad of a soldier just now you know that was like the highlight of my last fortnight you know in terms of the art i watched and i think that's just like a nice healthy way to be you know when, especially when you have something as niche as a star wars podcast it's good to remind yourself and the people who might be listening to you that there's lots of other stuff out there too so yeah sorry that was rambly and i lost my friend there a bit <laughs> do you want to go kirsty <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it's just kind of i do have to remind myself that even like the idea of the star wars fandom sometimes is a bit ludicrous because this is one of the biggest intellectual properties in the world you know like sure. everyone watches Star Wars, or at least most people, and <laughs> yeah. everyone's going to have an opinion on it. They might not share it online, but everyone likes what they like. And if something's not for them, they're free to express that and um, free to keep it to themselves if they prefer. So there's definitely like parts of online fandom that I choose to not engage in, and there's parts that I prefer. But um, yeah, I just have to remind myself to take a step back sometimes and just go and watch something else. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have a, a ton of great advice. It's just kind of what I've been doing over the past couple of years, you know, like signing up for the Criterion channel. Yeah, <laughs> I know it sounds silly. It honestly sounds like an ad, but like it helped just to be like, oh, wow, I'm going to give myself a little bit of a film education here, you know, and, and it introduces you to stuff you've never heard of before. Um, just, yeah, like try to branch out a bit. I don't know. I don't want to say that as if like I'm suggesting that people aren't watching other things. Obviously, we all do. Yeah. But um, it's kind of just a good idea to sort of decenter Star Wars from your life if it's not really making you happy. Yeah. Um, or at least like the parts that are currently being made. Because like, yeah, if we're not huge fans of The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett, then engaging with Star Wars fandom as it currently is, that's obviously going to be the stuff that everyone's talking about right now because it's new. Sure. But... You know, there's nothing stopping us going and rewatching the old movies or dipping back into Legends or catching up on some of the books from Disney Star Wars yeah. that we haven't had a chance to read yet. Or read in so... the courtship of Princess Leia, which I know comes <laughs> under the Legends umbrella, but that title is just so fabulous. It's I just scary, wanted it? to say it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so, yeah, sometimes I feel like I have to consciously not pressure myself to try and keep up with everything that's currently coming out. 
I don't know, sometimes it's good to remind myself, and this isn't me telling anyone else to do this, you know, everyone has their own relationship to it, but just to kind of take a step back and say, is this creator really out to get me? Probably not. They're probably just making something that they like and want to share with people. And I guess I'm not the audience for that. Um, And it doesn't mean I can't have an opinion on it. I certainly do. I certainly share that. (laughs) People are probably sick of hearing my takes, but still my right to share that as someone who's engaged with the art even if it's not for me you know it's still fair to have an opinion on it but just to kind of um decenter myself as like maybe not everything is being made personally for me and that's okay yep no i think that's a really smart approach okay right let's move on and in this next section we're going to talk about the fallen star by claudia gray which is the last main novel in the first phase of the High Republic. Um, so, yep, yeah, this has obviously been, you know, the flagship publishing initiative for Star Wars over the last year, and there's been a lot of High Republic media. We haven't read all of it. Um, I think we've probably read, well, we've definitely read all of like the main novels. We've read several of the young adult ones, but not all of them and read a few of the junior novels and I think Kirsty has probably read one of the junior novels that I did not just to give people a quick rundown um but yeah we're mainly going to talk about this relative to the other novels which were Light of the Jedi and The Rising Storm because this is like the continuation of that main story essentially um although it does bring in a lot from Claudia's own young adult book um which I believe is called Into the Dark there's lots of characters over from that one and now I'm rambling (laughs) so I need to find a way of segueing from this um but yeah why don't you give your overall thoughts on this book Kirsty and just your feelings about how it wraps up this first phase of High Republic books um it wasn't really what I expected going in from Mm -hmm. a Claudia Gray Star Wars novel um although I say that but I probably should have expected something a little closer because it's not too far off Master and Apprentice, which was quite a departure in style and story from her other novels. So maybe I'm just kind of, I need to get with the program because it's been a few years since she wrote the kind of novel I'm talking about with the Leia ones yeah, and, and Lost Stars. Those are a few years old now. Um, but I, I did enjoy it for what it was. Um, I really liked the kind of Lovecraftian horror elements those those quite surprised me got quite dark in places um and i there were definitely the kind of like development of the relationship between stellan and elzar i liked that yes that Um, was good yeah um so i'll I'll leave it there with the positives (laughs) before we go on yeah no that's fine i'll come in as well um because yeah i think overall i did enjoy it it was like a fun story you know and it was very um plotty you know there's always something happening there's murders left and right obviously we're not going to say exactly who and to be honest off the top of my head i can't really remember exactly who um but yeah there's lots going on you know you won't get bored reading this book i think it's safe to say um there is some nice character stuff um so I think at the end of the last novel, um, Elzar does some naughty things with the Force, if you will, as in he like leans into the dark side of it, which is not done. You know, he knows he shouldn't do that, and he's basically sent off to a retreat <laughs> to like be a better Jedi, essentially. <laughs> and I actually really liked that stuff, you know. And that yeah, was me too. The part where we actually got more introspection. Um, so I know you listened to the um audio book fit, right, Kirsty? And the, I can see the delivery of that being quite interesting did you think the narrator did a good job 
Yeah, Mark Thompson isn't for everyone. I see a lot of kind of funny comments about him on Twitter whenever one of his audiobooks comes out. Okay. But yeah, um, yeah he does a great job making each character sound very distinctive. He does all sorts of accents and and like delving into the character when you know they're kind of speaking internally. There's those monologues. I think it it was all handled really well. Kept me engaged for sure. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, no, I really admire like the narrators who read these high republic novels in particular because yeah there's just so much going on in so many different characters and differentiating everyone must be quite a big job Mm -hmm. um but yeah other stuff i liked um there was some nice allusions to the elza and ava relationship which i know i in particular was quite excited about after light of the jedi leaning into the criticism side of that there was no near enough of it for me (laughs) i'm saying serious slow burn (laughs) yeah like the ultimate slow burn it's like come on it's like they make it obvious that they care for each other you know which i like it's good to see acknowledge that jedi have feelings too you know because duh of course they do they're humans um well well, that to be fair they're not all humans you know know what i mean these particular jedi are humans um and yeah so it was nice to see it go a little bit further but Ultimately, I think it's like the same template as the other main High Republic novels. You know, all of them are centred on some big disaster. And it's not a spoiler to say that this High Republic novel is centred on Starlight Beacon falling down. You know, there's a big attack on Starlight Beacon and the whole thing goes crashing out of orbit. Um, And yeah, I don't know. They're all like different types of disasters, you know. So I guess you can argue that it's diverse in that respect. But it does still feel a little bit boilerplate, you know, in terms of it being this very big dramatic event and then you follow in, I don't know, like 20 different characters um, who will all being affected by the event simultaneously, you know? Um, and it does give it like a great sense of scope and it feels quite epic and there's a movie quality to what's going on, which I can definitely appreciate. But at the same time, I'm the sort of person who really likes more intimate character focused stories and you get really good like character glimpses of people in this type of novel but there's just not the space or the breathing room you know to really dig deep into any single character and yeah I think that was my main criticism you know that's the main thing I wanted more of. Yeah in a way it kind of feels like treading water. I don't want to sound dismissive because obviously the characters are developing but it's a, a very slow pace. And as you said, like this is the, kind of the third book in a series and they've all centered around these big like, oh no, we've been hit or there's an attack or whatever. <laughs> like, And it's always the Nile, obviously. Yep. Um, and Marky and Roe is the one behind it. But I still feel like I don't know anything about that dude. Yep. Oh, but he's feel... sexy, Kirsty. He's really is sexy. There? Did you know? <laughs> no, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> I know others feel differently, and that's that's cool. Sure. I think there's like a comic book series about him now, so maybe there's all sorts of stuff there that I'm missing. But I'm like, shouldn't that stuff be in the big ones that everyone's going to read? Have I just got it backwards? Are we are we missing the actual popular series that's going on here? Yeah, and again, I think that's another key issue I had because, like, I'm sure people listening to this, you know, if you're listening to this segment at all, hopefully you've read the book, basically. So I'm about to spoil a part of it. But during the events of the book, Ava arrives on her ship, you know, she docks with Starlight Beacon and she's obviously on the station as it's all crashing, you know, and there's all sorts of stuff going on with her. But you see literally none of it. 
and all you get is like a very brief radio communication where she's like I've arrived and then it like cuts off and she's like completely separate and I've since found out that's because her story has been told in the comics oh, so if you want to find out what's happening <laughs> okay. with Ava during the events of this book you have to go and read the bloody comics which in a way it was a relief to read that because it's like okay at least I understand why you know she's like completely missing an action during this thing yeah so it's like a conscious choice as opposed to an oversight yeah exactly yeah they she didn't just forget to write about Ava luckily um but yeah I find that really frustrating because like I'm kind of a bit conflicted because I understand the whole point of High Republic is as a multimedia project you know they always like advertised it and publicized it as being across different mediums so I knew it was going to be in comics I knew it was going to be in novels I knew it was going to be junior novels etc etc but I think you can do that without making people feel like they're missing huge parts of the story by just reading a certain strand and I think that should be especially true when you know like us you're committing to reading those like key central novels in the series you know so that left me feeling a bit cheated I think Mm. that such a critical part of the story is being relegated to a comic when Ava in Light of the Jedi is one of the main characters you know she's front and center on that book cover so I don't think it's unreasonable to expect her story to be continued through the books as well you know how do you feel about that stuff Kirsty? No it's it's an interesting point given what's going on in the tv shows at the moment like there's this obvious like conscious strategy from Lucasfilm of all this like interconnected storytelling yeah um, which I guess like the big blueprint for that at the moment is the MCU but I'm not a big follower of that I kind of just dip into whatever looks interesting to me yeah. whereas obviously I'm more invested in Star Wars and I'm like I I can't read all of this so like I could but then it would mean that I wouldn't be reading all sorts of other things that I'm interested in yeah exactly um, so yeah I'm kind of curious to hear from people out there who are managing to keep up with it all do you feel like it's paying off for you like is that what we're missing yeah Honestly, let us know if you've been following everything in the High Republic series, especially the comics, which I've heard really good things about. You know, I've heard they're really well done, but it's just not our medium. You know, we've never really followed the comics. We'd love to hear your thoughts on how it's all combining, you know, and being in sync. So email us at scavengershorde.gmail.com if you have thoughts you want to share on that. I might also do a little Twitter shout out. Yeah, if it turns out that they've like put Marky and Rose's actual motive in the comics, I'm gonna be a bit like, what? And then you didn't bother to like expand on that in the book, so the people who are just reading this have no idea. Because I just don't. There's like a block with me in this guy. Like I want to connect with him and understand why he's doing what he's doing, but so far it just seems kind of senseless. Yeah, like sadistic. And I'm like, there's got to be more there, surely. Yeah, and I felt like in this episode in particular, we only got like the barest glance at him. You know, he like pops up like three or four times and he's like, he's just there on his ship. Yeah. Man. He's literally just there like watching shit go down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah, you just feel like this gaping absence of a lot with Marky and Rowe, I think, don't you? And like in this book, it's also revealed that he's been having a sexual relationship with a senator. <laughs> They keep on trying to sell this idea of Marky and Roe as this kind of like sexy bad boy. Well, having a having an affair with a corrupt senator doesn't necessarily make him sexy in itself. No, right? no, it, and, it, and it does not. It does not. But it's He's obviously more, using her. Yeah, exactly. And I guess it's like more than what we did have those. He just seemed entirely sexless, you know, to any extent previous to this. Like there was no hint of him having any kind of relationship, manipulative or otherwise. 
Um, so yeah, I was just kind of amused by that, but I'm just kind of confused. I'm like, where did that come from? I'm not sure if this is the first time the idea of that relationship has been introduced, mm. or again, if it was maybe like something established in a comic or something. But again, you know, I just feel it feels incomplete. I think is what I'm trying to say. You know, it feels like this book was telling half a story and then you have to go on some sort of like scavenger's hunt and find the other parts of the story in other media. And I enjoyed this book, but I'm not willing to do that extra work, you know, of going hunting out for the other parts of the story. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's just the reality of of what they're doing and that's why we're having the response that we're having. It's like, oh, it was enjoyable but i'm not fully understanding what's going on and yeah. the goal is to get us to buy those other things and spend more money yeah exactly and i don't think it will achieve its intended aims if that is the goal because yeah and i, I again i when i say these things i sound like i'm being really judgmental or snobby about the comics and i don't mean to be that way it's purely a question of time and money you know it would get expensive to buy all those comics and i also want to use that time for other things um and yeah it just bothers me a little um but i think it's safe to say going forward with high republic you know if there's another novel that comes out that looks appealing to me i'll certainly read it like i believe the next phase is going to be prequel stuff and by that i mean prequels to the events of this phase Hmm. so i guess when like ava and elsa and stellan were younger i i don't even know they'd have been born to be honest but i hope they're around because those are the characters i'm most interested in um and I'll tell you what, if they do a book where it is actually character focused and it's about exploring that supposed funny business that Ava and Elsa got up to when they were like Padawans, I really want to read that book, you know, because they keep on like dancing around it and like alluding to it. And I feel like there has to be more of a story there. So I hope that story happens in some fashion and preferably not in comics. But we'll hmm. see. I wonder if that will follow Markian's father. Oh, yeah, that could be interesting. Then maybe we get more of a sense there of what's going on. Yeah, no, so basically I'm awaiting it with interest because I think there's very little information out there right now about exactly what stories they're going to tell. But it did surprise me because it was not what I was expecting in terms of them going even further back in time relative to these stories. I thought it was always just going to be advancing and advancing, you know, getting closer to the present in air quotes of the story. Yeah, that is quite surprising, isn't it? Presumably there's a decent rationale for that. Yeah, exactly. We know we saw all the like spider diagrams and like all the charts <laughs> connecting things on whiteboards, so I'm sure they have a plan. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Um yeah, do you have any final thoughts on that that you want to share, Kirsty, or should we move on? Um, I'm really enjoying Buriaga. I think he's oh, very yes. sweet. <laughs> and Belle, actually. Yeah, no, they're really nice together, aren't they? They make a good duo. Yeah. And are you convinced that Buriaga is alive? No. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, I don't know. I'm yeah. yeah. I'm just kind of seeing what happens. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. You're not set up like a little shrine of hope. <laughs> it's Star Wars. Characters die and they come back and yeah, whatever. exactly. Nothing's permanent. It's fine. There's only Raftars. I I honestly think a Wookiee would be fine against Raftars. He'd figure something out. You know, they're strong. This, this got spoilery. 
hope no one's too shocked by that it revelation, did. Rachel. I, I did warn people, to be fair, <laughs> okay. about halfway through. I was like, guys, we're just going to go into spoilers. So, yeah. If, if you got here and you're suddenly shocked by that revelation, you should have listened more closely early on. It's your fault. <laughs> okay. You're definitely going to get spoilery in the next section as well. So. Yes, I think that's very safe to say, because in the next section, we are going to talk about chapters five and six of the book of Boba Fett. So if, if you're here and you haven't watched those... <laughs> Go away. <laughs> yeah, go away or good for you. I don't know. Either way. Um, but yeah, okay, let's just go with it. Um, so first of all, let's just talk in general terms because I think both these episodes group together nicely in the sense they represent a, how a I fork in the road. Yeah, they represent a real fork <laughs> in the road for the show where it literally becomes a, a different show, um, which is a choice. So yeah, just we'll get into the specifics of each episode later, Kirsty. But just in terms of the choice to no longer make this show about Boba Fett, how do you feel about the choice that has been made in these episodes? A bit confused. <laughs> sure. I think that's a reasonable reaction. And, you know, only really because it's such a specific title. <laughs> you know, if they... And I know people have been quite salty and defensive about this. And I get it because it's like, yeah, we were told that this was all going to be kind of a spin-off from The Mandalorian and to an extent like this, the Ahsoka show that one that's not happening about the rangers they were all supposed to be like strands of the same story that would then come back together but i thought that meant that this part of the story would be its own thing until it joined presumably later on like after this mini series was over yeah and that's not what's happened so that was a surprise and i i think it's fair to say that was a surprise for most people unless you'd like sort out spoilers surely people did not expect to have like two whole episodes where Boba Fett was like barely in them. Like he's in that episode six for a few seconds, right? Yeah. He's not in the fifth one at all. I think it's fair to say that we were all a bit blindsided by that, right? Yes, I absolutely <laughs> think so. Um, And yet in terms of like people who are into spoilers knowing, I don't even think the spoilers, people who were into spoilers knew this was coming. Oh, really? No, um, because I'm a proud member of the Star Wars Leaks <laughs> community. Okay. And from what I understand there... It seems people are saying there were lots of reports conf- that were confused over whether they were filming the Book of Boba Fett or The Mandalorian Season 3. Well, that's okay. fair, because it's like... And <laughs> now we've seen this. It's obvious why that is, because they were clearly filming Mandalorian material for <laughs> Boba Fett, you know? So yeah. that totally explains the confusion. Um, but yeah, because, you know, again, no one connected the pieces of Bo- Book of Boba Fett turning into a Mandalorian show. No one clued on to what was actually happening, so... Yeah, they certainly kept that a good secret. It was a surprise. Yeah, and you know, obviously the end of episode four, as we said last time, like you hear Mando's theme come in. They're talking about, well, we've got all these credits that we can go and get muscle. We expected that to mean that Mando would be coming in, but we thought that it would be Mando coming into Boba's show. Yeah, And it's not, that's not really what's happened. (laughs) Technically he has, but he had an entire episode and then all the stuff with Luke. So, quite different, quite different emphasis. Yes. Boba Fett is no longer the protagonist. <laughs> exactly. And I think if it bothers me on any level, it's because I feel like I actually became kind of invested in Boba, you know, especially in those first two episodes, you know, when it's so heavy on him and his time with the Tuscans, you know, because I really, really liked that, especially in episode two. I thought that was so well done. And I thought it was all building to something with him, you know, and it was going to act establish him as an actual character you know um 
And yeah, now I'm just kind of like, there's only one episode left. So what can they possibly do with Boba himself to pay all this off? You know, and I'm just struggling to see any route out for him, you know. And I don't mean it's in him literally surviving. I'm sure he'll survive. But I mean, isn't any route for like a climax to his journey as a character, you know. I'm like, I feel like there's barely been anything with him. You know, I still don't really understand why he wants to become a crime boss. I don't understand why he deserves to be a crime boss, you know. Like, I just find it all very confusing, I think it's safe to say. You know, I said last time I wasn't super impressed with the execution of the story that they were trying to tell with those first four episodes. The second one was my favourite and it's still my favourite because that feels like it was like setting out on the promise of telling a story about Boba Fett and his journey after he fell in the Salak. But like since then it's almost like the creators themselves got bored with that character. And I've seen a lot of people like shitposting like, oh, jokes on you if you thought Boba Fett was going to be an interesting character. But I was like, he's not he's not my favourite character, but I kind of you have to sort of buy into the premise that they're at least going to attempt to make him an interesting character if they've chosen to make a series about him or at least named after him. I thought that was going to be their goal. (laughs) Yeah, and like there was honestly real potential for Boba and the performance to win me over because I realised just how much I really liked Tem, you know, and how much Tem was bringing to it, you know, in, in infusing his own personality into the character, you know, and especially bringing some of his own cultural background to it. You know, I really love that stuff. And because obviously it's not fair to judge it like definitively because there's still one episode left. They might pull some magic rabbit out of the hat. You know, I'm not expecting him to tie everything up for Bo that you, you look at it and you're like, oh God, that is actually really satisfying. But at this point, I'm struggling to see how that's possible, you know, after what I mean, we've done yeah. in these last two episodes. I'm expecting Boba Fett to be in the finale, but presumably it's going to have to be kind of this big, large scale battle with all of these, you know, it's this ensemble that's been curated, right? Yes. Um, You know, there's the potential even for some of the Tuscans to kind of return and join him in that attempt. But I don't think there's going to be anything that will like, I don't think there's going to be time for that breathing space necessary to go any deeper with Boba as a character. Yeah. So it's like, what were you doing with those first few episodes? Like, was that it? Yeah. Because I don't feel like it was enough. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, what the hell even happened with um, Fennec? Oh my god. You know, like, I feel like she's been utterly screwed over. You know, she has no character in her own right. She's literally <sighs> yeah. just there to do Boba's bidding. And it really pisses me off. So for like... They've stripped away everything that made her interesting when we first saw her in The Mandalorian. So obviously Boba's been done dirty as well, but I feel Fennec has had an even worse still as a character, you know, from this. It's, yeah, a shame. I feel like, again, when we first met her, obviously we were only getting like a persona and like a profession, like an impression of her as this independent Um, bounty hunter and assassin and she had a name for herself so that all sounded like it had potential but none of that potential has been met because they just haven't done anything to deepen her as a character she's just kind of someone for Boba to talk to yeah and and do his bidding and it's great that she like decided to stick around but we don't even that didn't go anywhere there wasn't like a a heart to heart between them and um, maybe it's coming in the finale but by that point i'm like 
it feels like an afterthought in a way because you did you took the camera and went somewhere completely different and in just in chapter five you got greater depth to din like the the difference in the the storytelling there and the characterization it was night and day and yet the same person was writing both of them so i know john favreau is capable of that when he chooses to yeah <laughs> <laughs> like i know you know especially you were, you were really struck and impressed by bryce dallas howard's direction yeah and i am too like i think she managed to do something genuinely different um but it was the writing too i felt yes that's true you, know, you have to have the bones there yeah and they were there in that one in a way that they hadn't really been in the rest of the series maybe in episode two to an extent yeah no and i think I'm that's true yeah it's like if if din is your primary character of interest then that's fine but like why make this series in the first place it just feels almost unfair to to Tem and Ming-Na. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like they should have held back these particular episodes for the eventual Mando season three that we know we're going to get rather than packaging them with this. Um, I guess, but the cynic in me is like, well, of course they want everyone to watch all of the shows. Yeah. So, <laughs> so of course, they're going to put all these other things in it too. Yeah. yeah. No, I know what you mean. Um, but yeah, should we talk about the episodes individually? You've already touched on chapter five, um, um, Bryce Dallas Howard's direction. Um so yeah that is obviously called return of the mandalorian um, which is a hilariously on the nose title <laughs> um but in a way i find it quite charming you know it just is what it is it's very clear about what it is and it gives you a handy description so yeah i can't hate that basically i think it's quite sweet um and yeah this is basically 100 percent din essentially and i thought it was really charming and well done and i just appreciated it so it felt like a really nice return to the simplicity of season one of the mandalorian and this whole like commentary by the way on my opinion of it is completely separate from the whole question of how it synergizes with the concept of a story called the book of boba fett because it just doesn't doesn't. (laughs) so let's just consider that settled and just talk about this as a standalone thing (laughs) Um, because that's the thing you can you know it just doesn't yeah you can just look at this as a continuation of din's story after season two of the mandalorian and nothing changes you know it is just a continuation of that story it's not a continuation of boba's story in any way um so yeah as a thing in its own right what did you think about this episode kirsty um i thought it was well done mm. i i think i i haven't had a chance to rewatch it and i probably should because the whole time i was just like what are they doing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's kind of a bit like shocked, isn't it? And I kept on waiting for like it to switch over to Boba or yeah. something, you know. So I, I know how you feel. Yeah. Um, I, I I was really struck by the fact that you know we're actually seeing like new locations with genuinely innovative, exciting designs. Now, you know, I've thought about it before. It's not like the first time it occurred to me, but I really feel like we need more of that in current Star Wars. Um, a lot of stuff has been has felt in very familiar environments um so it was really cool to see something that felt brand new yeah no 100 percent. i really loved that it was like ring world wasn't it so it's kind of yeah. like exposed to the vacuum of, of space but i guess it, it has its own atmosphere or something um yeah. and yeah it was just such a striking visual um and it just reminded me of 
I don't know how boring it gets when you just see the same biomes in Star Wars again and again because but yeah because the sky's the limit yeah you know exactly and I there's obvious practical reasons you know why they keep doing sand planets because obviously Tatooine isn't just the only sand planet we get a bunch of them and it's because you know they can go to Abu Dhabi or wherever and just film there you know because there's plenty of deserts in the real world and I'm sure it's more expensive well they've got the the volume as well haven't they yeah exactly they have volume um but yeah however they realized this effect in this particular episode it was really really cool and i loved how it was like an upside down city as well you know you sometimes saw like the reverse of buildings and mm. yeah it was a really awesome effect and i really liked how we saw din reunite with other members of his sect of mandalorians you know the armorer and paz Vizsla. um and you know just the whole culty vibe of, of them just continuing um, what did you think about that? You know, of all the references to their traditions and stuff, and all the stuff about the dark saber. Did that leave any impression, Kirsty? Yeah, well, I felt in a way that was kind of what the title could have been referring to. Like in story, it was him going back to that culture after kind of being on his journey with Grogu and like Bo-Katan and and Boba and that. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And kind of highlighting how far he's come, and obviously the reveal that he has to make to them that he has taken his helmet off like what just again what struck me was how much stuff was being done with din's character journey in a show that's ostensibly not about him and i just kept thinking about all the people who were invested in this character who wouldn't have been watching this show and i was like i hope those people realize that they're gonna have to watch this episode because huge stuff was happening here that's like central to the story of the mandalorian yeah um so that really did surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> that they'd had the nerve to do that in a way. No, it makes me kind of fascinated to see what they're going to do at the very beginning of season three of Mandalorian. You know, if there's going to be any like attempt to sort of recap these like critical events that happened in Boba Fett, or if they're just going to assume that everyone watched that. I, I expect, based on precedent, I'll just assume that everyone watched these episodes in the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, but... which is not going to be the case. <laughs> no, it won't be, but ugh, that's their problem, I guess. Yeah, um, like cool to see him using the dark saber and um them kind of expanding on the history of it and um yeah, that that fight that they had I actually felt the tension. Yeah. Like it felt like there was this weight to it. Um I did really like how they showed him basically like hacking and slashing with the dark saber like he has like zero like understanding of the gravity of what this weapon represents yeah but it's like it's obviously this deeply significant ceremonial sword in that culture and he's just like wow wow <laughs> <laughs> he's just like chopping people's bodies in half and stuff. <laughs> so yeah i found it funny and did he injure himself with the dark saber i think that might have been a yes. thing yeah yeah no he did so yeah i found yeah, all he's that like quite limping funny. out of there yeah <laughs> you know bless him i i just really liked in he's a very good character and Again, it just made me feel sad for Boba Fett because there's so much like texture and care given to Din that, like you say, is not given to Boba necessarily. Um, it is pretty fascinating because obviously the Mandalorian evolved out of the original design of Boba Fett, yeah. but now he's more of a fully fleshed character with more of a following almost. Yeah, it's a bit like the reverse <laughs> of what you'd expect, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the power of Grogu as well. <laughs> yeah, the power of Grogu. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, it's true though. Um, 
And yeah, like I did appreciate that they're still showing like the extreme culty vibe of his fellow Mandalorians, you know, especially with that whole thing about have you ever taken your helmet off? And eventually, like a naughty little child, he has to be like, oh, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, you're no longer Mandalorian then. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, for God's sake, it kind of pissed me off that he's so, like, compliant, you know, with that whole way of thinking. And he's immediately like, oh, how can I put it right? <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, but we'll see where that goes. Yeah, I-, I have confidence that they know that's not a healthy attitude to have and that he's going to come to understand that too. I just hope it doesn't take, like, God knows, like, three more seasons for him to realise that. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind because that is a pretty big journey to be going on and it's not necessarily a linear progression to kind of deprogram yourself or some, from something like that i mean this was the way he was raised yeah right that's true. so i think as long as it's done with nuance and care i don't mind if it takes time just as long as it's not dropped you know yeah. i think that was one of my concerns at the end of last season i was like are we gonna get all of this stuff followed up with din and so in a way it's really encouraging to see that already yeah um, that is true it kind yeah. of, i think by showing it here you know because this is very much establishing the stakes for din going forward i think the showing it will be quite central to him which mm. yeah i was glad to see and also like the um bo-katan shade you know she's like she has a cautionary tale so i don't know why i'm giving them the armor at that point <laughs> the armor well, she's very not... haughty isn't she yeah she's very yeah. haughty yeah i think that's what i'm <laughs> going for um but yeah like just the like aggression towards Bo-Katan you know and all the infighting between the Mandalorians like god it's no wonder you're all wiped out you know if you're fighting amongst yourself so much <laughs> like isn't that a thing in the Clone Wars right that there's lots of different ideologies yeah I'm, within the I'm telling you I really think you should you should gonna go ahead and watch the yeah. stuff with like Bo-Katan and and Satine and stuff yeah I might need to bite the bullet people have been like very nice to me like giving me viewing orders and stuff so I need to <laughs> go and seek those out and actually do it <laughs> So yeah, thanks guys. I haven't forgotten. I, I will watch Clone Wars stuff at some point, especially Mandalore. It's clearly going to be so significant. So yeah. Um, and yeah, then obviously the second half of the episode is very much about Din going back to Tatooine. And I love that whole sequence of him traveling commercially, by the way. Oh, that was I, so fun. I think that was delightful, especially with him interacting with that little child and the kid just being like so fascinated by him because that's so true to life. You know, anyone who's travelled with like a toddler sat in the seat in front of you and just like constantly turn around to look and yeah, it's really sweet. Yeah, it's really funny to get like little when they decide to do that, give you like a slice of life in the galaxy for regular people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well that was very well done. And I really liked the gag with him having to take out all the weapons and put them in the like um hold luggage. <laughs> weapons are my religion. Yeah. <laughs> honestly pedro's delivery is just second to none he sells it so much just with like the slightest intonation it's brilliant yeah, he's yeah very you good. can't say about a certain jedi in the next episode <laughs> yeah we'll get there um but yeah then obviously most of the second half of the episode is about Pelly fixing him up with a new spaceship um which happens to be a naboo starfighter um and yeah just the various antics associated with that such as taking it for a test drive and what did you think about all that stuff christy i like pelly and i like seeing them interact again i like how she treats din yes um yeah it's just kind of nice to see their relationship evolving each time um 
Yeah. I enjoyed that whole thing. I don't have too much to say about it, but it was fun. Yeah, no, it was just quite appealing and charming. I think this might have been my favourite appearance of Pelly, actually. And I liked her when she first appeared, but I felt like, you know, she had a bit more time to breathe in this episode. It was, yeah, just like her and Din talking, you know. And obviously mm-hmm. a lot of it's like functional dialogue, you know, about spaceship parts and stuff. Um, but it was still really interesting. Um, yeah, you feel like she's become a genuine friend because she's like, thinking of him when he's not there and like you know keeping stuff with him in mind and i don't know i found it really endearing yeah exactly and you get glimpses into her personal life like her prior relationship with jawa <laughs> um which yeah obviously it's played for laughs you know it's not, yeah. it's not super serious <laughs> but it all adds color to these things which can be appreciated mm-hmm. um yeah no so that's brilliant um and yeah, I feel like that's pretty much most of what I wanted to say. Oh, I did really like Fennec's appearance at the end. Obviously, it was like laughably the only like reference to the like main events of that sh- of the show in the entire episode, which was quite funny. But she just felt like so lively, you know, in that appearance. When I don't know, she just felt kind of like checked out and like not particularly integrated into things in the other episodes. It's kind of hard to describe. I think it's in the direction. You know, mm. because I just found her like really animated and fun to watch here. Although it was just thirty seconds, so I'm probably building up too much. Yeah, I'm gonna stop. I know what you mean. There was like a, I don't know, a, a punch behind this episode in a way that there really hasn't been with the rest of Book of Boba Fett. It just has a different tone. Yeah, exactly. It was well done. Um, so you missed all the stuff about like pod racing and wizard. Oh, and of course, stuff, yeah. But and I even but it's not. <laughs> and it's okay because like that stuff i obviously i could recognize what they were doing but some fans like that's been like an amazing thing that's made them super happy and i'm just like that's just what star wars does at this point yeah (laughs) i think it kind of played better for me upon repeat viewing because it's obviously so mild compared to everything that happens in the next episode (laughs) um but yeah i know what you mean it's very self-referential and the whole wizard thing it was extremely corny but i did like it (laughs) I guess for some people it's still like a novelty that they're like referencing the prequels but like guys those are decades old at this point and it's safe for them to champion them get back to me when they're doing the same with the sequels yeah <laughs> exactly yeah like give me all that Raylo references please um and oh and what else was I going to say about that um oh yeah and also him getting caught out by space cops that's perhaps one other thing I wanted to mention I did quite like that little scene especially because they gave the guy who was Luke's stand-in for season two of the Mandalorian that actually let her see us see his real face for a change I did like that Hmm. do you think that was supposed to be like a tie-in to the series that is no more the Rangers of the Republic I think that could well be yeah I reckon that guy you know especially the older chap you know who we've seen before I reckon he would have been like a recurring character in that show um, right. and it's a shame I like him I can't remember the actual I like him I him. just think the uh, I just think that show would not have gone I mean, I mean unless it would have gone in a wildly different direction but like those scenes are not my favourite like they're like they're fine for what they are in terms of like the wider story that's being told here but I wouldn't want a whole show focused on that yeah I would love to know what the pitch even was you know <laughs> in terms of like oh yes we're gonna tell a story about space cops I think they just Republic. needed to take the Cara Dune character in a different direction from the others and that was what they thought to do with her <laughs> but that's not relevant anymore so thank god for that <laughs> yeah no so that's a mercy um I think it's safe to say um okay brilliant 
Um, so yeah, should we move on to chapter six, which I guess is where a lot of things happens? Yeah, I will just say for chapter five, I think what oh, yeah. I came away from it thinking, because I do think that Bryce did a really great job of it, I was just like, why has Robert Rodriguez... I, mean, I know that he's doing the finale, so I'll probably... Hopefully I'll be eating my words because it'll be a good, strong finish to the show. But um, so far, I'm like, why is he giving himself the dullest episodes? Yeah, no, no it's a very good <laughs> you know? question. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they have been pretty consistent in being the least interesting stories of the lot, right? So Yeah, so far. Yeah, no, it's a very, very odd choice. I think it's safe to say. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. But maybe, as I said, he's saving the best for last and will be totally wowed by that finale. We'll see. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm glad that Elise gave him that because regardless of quality, it's definitely going to be a big splashy episode of a lot going on. So there's lots of there's going to be lots of potential for directorial flushes, I'm sure. Mm. So, yeah, we will see what comes of that. Um, yeah. So you ready to move on to chapter six? I am. Okay, I'm you're prepared. I'm trying to gauge like, how much I should share about how I feel about it. Yeah, I think to begin with, you know, if anyone listening really loved this episode, you know, if you, I'm sure you probably know roughly how we feel about this, you know, based on our opinions about season two of The Mandalorian. So it's going to be pretty similar, you know, because obviously characters that appeared in season two of The Mandalorian, they, well, not all of them, but a lot of them also appear here, let's say that. Um, and yeah, it's not necessarily what we were particularly thrilled to see. I think it's safe to say I'm trying to be diplomatic. And yeah, I guess, would you say it's fair to say we're not going to dwell on it too much, Kirsty, you know, in terms of our dissatisfaction with that stuff? Yeah, because I feel like we have, as you said, because it does kind of follow up on threads from season two that we were a bit disappointed with. Yeah. Um, And... uh, we're not trying to be contrarian. Like, I know that this stuff is a hit with the wider fandom. Like, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, the fandom's going to love this. Yeah. You know, it's not for me, but other people will love it. It's just not really what we want to see in the future of Star Wars. Yeah. I, I just think it's kind of the easy route. Not technologically. Obviously, they're making fantastic advances, like, with the effects. That's just not what I personally care about yes. in my storytelling. So is kind of a, a hard pill to swallow that as coming back to what we were talking about towards the beginning of the episode just have to tell yourself this is just not for me you know yeah no exactly and there's a little bit of a bummer because yeah it can feel sometimes like star wars is becoming more and more self-referential as it goes on you know and it does and this latest episode it does obviously reference things that aren't star wars there's references to like lone Cl- lone cub and wolf and various westerns which i have not seen because i don't particularly like westerns (laughs) um but yeah it's not just referencing star wars but there's lots and lots of heavy star wars references and yeah you do just sometimes wonder watching these things how someone completely unfamiliar with these characters would be able to follow it and i'm talking particularly about you know someone like Cad Bane and like obviously Ahsoka she was also in Mandalorian season two so I'm sure a lot of people who had no idea who she was have probably looked her up in the interim <laughs> um but yeah it's just it's a choice they're making I'm not down with it but you know obviously a lot it makes a lot of people happy and I don't want to take that away from anyone so I'm not saying they shouldn't do it but 
I'm personally disappointed and I wish they weren't going in this direction, but they evidently are. So, yeah. Let me put it this way. I'm glad there's going to be non-Mandoverse Star Wars, you know, because I think every all the shows set in this part of the timeline now, you know, I think there is always going to be this thing of characters crossing over between properties, you know, and cameos and stuff. So I think I'll probably feel happier with content where it's separated by a safe distance of several decades and the same people cannot pop up in the same way. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think for me the big the big concern is the stuff around Luke. Yeah. I just and I like Luke Skywalker as a character. I just don't it makes me uneasy and a little sad this like fixation on seeing him in this particular incarnation. Um, and it, I don't know, it, it feels like kind of ghoulish and not morbid, but, um, just kind of strange, like the need for people to see him as this permanently young dude. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that the storytelling itself contradicts with like the timeline in terms of the character that we end up with in The Last Jedi. But I thought that the choice to have him depicted a certain way and like Mark's performance in The Last Jedi was it it felt really authentic and spoke to where people might be at at a certain phase in their life. And I feel like that that kind of scared some people and made them feel uncomfortable and um, it's okay to age. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to go through phases. It's okay to change. Um, and I feel like there's this. I don't want to like psychoanalyze the fandom. Oh, it's so tempting, it's isn't it? So blatant <laughs> to me. I'm like, yeah. guys, it's okay to let Luke Skywalker go. Yeah, he's always going to be there. <laughs> you know, like I just don't. I'm not personally champing at the bit to see him in this particular phase in his life because I feel like Return of the Jedi puts a bow on it and I feel like he serves the purpose he needs to in the sequel trilogy which is about a new generation of characters Yeah. Um, and the in between I'm just not that fussed about but obviously they're going there in a big way so that's you know that's my reading of it yeah no I think that's fair Um, I think for me like again I feel like I've done I've done it to death you know in terms of my criticisms of it and I basically 100% with Kirsty in sharing the apprehension about the way they're going with the deep fakes you know and this clear desire to keep the characters young you know who knows for how long maybe indefinitely I'm not sure um but just looking at it on its own terms and accepting it as a thing I think the most interesting storytelling choice in this whole episode was that final choice that Luke gave Grogu where obviously Grogu has to choose between the lightsaber, in which case he'll stay with Luke and train with him, or the armor, which Din gave him. Um, you know, then presumably Grogu will be taken back to Din and he'll resume his time with Din. Yeah. And I'm glad they're going in that direction because I think they are leaning into some consistency with the characterization of Luke in The Last Jedi, in terms of showing him as being like too hardline perhaps and a bit misguided in his approach to what a Jedi is slash should be. Yeah. I feel like if they have to tell this story, I feel like that's an interesting story and that's a story that's in line with the sequels. So 
I'm glad to see hints of that, but obviously it all depends on the payoff. <laughs> so I imagine we'll get some payoff next episode. I'd be very surprised if we didn't know Grogu's answer by then. Um, but yeah, that's perhaps the most interesting thing that happened in this episode to me. How about you, Kirsty? Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I actually wasn't sure if we would get that answer in this show or if they'd save it for the Mandalorian. Yeah. I think it would show more restraint if they saved it for the Mandalorian, <laughs> and I'm not convinced the show has that level of okay. restraint. <laughs> All right. But we'll see. I might be proven wrong. Um, and it yeah. would be really interesting if they did string it out for that long. Can you just imagine the speculation? Or it's just going to be endless? Yeah. I think, it, as you say, like that's it's definitely in line. It's, I wasn't like, oh, that's not my Luke, you know? <laughs> sure. Because um, it's kind of what we were talking about at the end of season two when we were like, they're not. I can't gauge the tone here. Like he's leaving with him. Is this going to be a good thing for Grogu and Din, or is it a bad thing? Um, because Luke definitely had like this holier than thou smug aura thing going on. Oh, very much. And I was just like, are the creators consciously doing that? But I do think they are. So I'm not like opposed to it. In a, I'm not opposed to the story that they're trying to tell. I just don't want to see it here. Sure. And I don't like deep faking. And I don't like what they're doing with the voice. I just don't understand how that emotionally works for people. Yeah. Obviously it is, or at least some people, a lot of people, whatever. I'm not, you know, I'm just speaking for myself. I'm like, that sounds like a computer talking, trying to do an impression of Luke Skywalker. Yeah. It's not emotionally powerful for me at all. Yeah. It's like this will sound like a weird connection, but I promise I'm trying to get to a point. So in the intro, I was obviously talking about that Russian film called Ballad of a Soldier. I was going on about them casting those two young people as the lead characters, you know, and it's so much about their faces, you know, and just the vividness of seeing humans on the screen, you know, and just seeing their facial expressions and the depth of the emotion they can get across for their face you know and how genuine it all feels because they're the same age as their characters and you feel them feeling the emotions they're portraying you know it all feels really palpable you lose all that when it's a cgi recreation of an actor's face from 40 years ago you know Mm. you don't get any of that freshness or authenticity you just get a recreation you know you get what a computer thinks someone resembled and that doesn't capture the emotional range or the expressiveness of an actual performance. And I think that's the real tragedy in it, you know, if they really are serious about going down this route. Because even if computers can get to the point where they can, like, immaculately replicate all that, you know, as an actual human performer would, I don't want to be in that space because I don't want to see <laughs> computers replace us like that, you know? is. Like, that's not what I want. I want to see people, I want to see actual humans express these things. I don't want to see computers do it. Yeah, I don't I don't know why that appeals to people, honestly. Yeah. And again, I'm not judging. I'm genuinely confused why people would want that over watching real people's faces. Yeah. I'd much rather they cast the guy who's doing, you know, the guy who you said was in that scene with the Rangers. I just, I would love to see his take on Luke Skywalker. Or yeah. whoever they cast, like... I know it's huge shoes to fill, but you did it with Han and Alden was not, he was not the problem with that movie. If you say there's a problem with that movie, it's not him. Yeah. So 
you know, if you really want to tell stories with Luke Skywalker, I think the way to go is to bite the bullet and recast. But that's obviously not the path they're going. Yeah. So. And I feel like the more they do this, the more they're committing themselves to sticking with this particular version of Luke. Yeah, and it won't just be for Luke. It'll be for all sorts of characters. Yeah. And it will be all over Disney. It won't just be Lucasfilm. It won't just be Star Wars. And I just think it's sad. Yeah. Like, that's not that's not how I want to engage with art. That's not how I want to to watch stories. Same. Um, and again, it's not a slight on people at ILM. I'm sure they are, they're doing state-of-the-art stuff. Like, very impressive it's just not it's just not how it's not what i want to watch yeah and i do feel like ryan johnson made comments around the time last jedi came out right about how in order to keep star wars fresh you know in order to keep it alive in the long term you have to find new things about it you know and new stories to tell and new characters and stuff you know you need to like constantly keep on refreshing it because obviously lots of people love and are deeply attached to you know the original trilogy and those stories and those characters but that's not always going to be the case you know there's always going to be new stories and new characters replacing them and eventually that complete fixation with Luke Skywalker is going to fade you know and if they really commit themselves to more and more Luke you know and everything is all about coming back to Luke all the time you know he's like the epicenter of all this I honestly think they're shooting themselves in the foot. So I think it's misguided on several levels. I understand the love people have for Luke Skywalker, but that love is partly... And that collective, big fandom love is partly because Luke's kind of an everyman. Yeah. He's kind of generic. That was the point. (laughs) Yes. You know? People see themselves in him, which I, I honestly think that's a big part of why we've ended up in this place. Because I think when people saw him fail so spectacularly in The Last Jedi, it kind of felt like a saying, you're going to fail too, you know, that you're like really broken on the inside as well. But that's okay. And and (laughs) you you and I know that. But lots of people apparently don't want to have that pointed out to them, you know? Mm. And I think it's a bit of a quandary. So I, I don't mind having that pointed out, but I can also understand why other people do mind it being pointed out. Do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, I just think that story worked because it was ultimately so hopeful. Yeah. And I didn't think it was particularly subtle or the point was there. I don't know. It's Yeah, I don't know how to talk about this because it's a real bummer for me. Yeah, that sucks, doesn't it? But yeah, and, and it frustrates me because I do think they're doing something interesting with Luke's story, you know, with that whole choice he presented to Grogu, as I said earlier. But I just wish they weren't going about it in this way, you know. Yeah. That's, that's what I want it. to. Yeah, I want to hear more from the creators on how they feel about what they're doing too because there's a moment in that gallery episode about, you know, the one that they brought out relatively recently about Luke because they were they were being quite careful about not spoiling anything. Yeah. They show Favreau talking about the ethical concerns of deep faking. Right. So they're they're conscious of it. Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, this stuff can be abused. This could be really dangerous." And as they were saying that, obviously they were continuing with it. So it's like, do you really mean that? Or are you just paying lip service to the idea? Because you're right. Actually, this is pretty scary. Yeah. Um, no. This could get dangerous pretty quickly. You know, and you are the people who are pushing this technology. Not the only people, but like, come on. You've got a responsibility here. I want people to know that this is bigger than Luke Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, and it's much bigger than Stars itself even. It's kind of like, do you just want actors to just be recycled and have these 
awful clauses in their contracts. <laughs> you know, selling their likenesses forever. That's just yeah. horrendous. And they were obviously dancing around it with what they chose to do with Leia in nine. Yeah. But it's ghoulish, it's macabre. I don't I just don't feel comfortable with it. Yeah. I know I know I sound like a hater or like I've got a tinfoil hat on and I'm making it sound like it's worse than it is. But if this is successful for them, they're gonna keep doubling down on it. Yeah. They already are. And I, I just find that really discouraging. Yeah. No, no, I absolutely share that. Like and it's kind of hard so it makes it difficult to view this episode on its own terms you know because it's just like oh god what are they doing <laughs> yeah well luke was such a huge part of it was he in like at least half of the episode yeah he was more prominent than din in this episode you know which is pretty staggering and what does luke mean to boba yeah i i, I know that's a waste of time because that's not even the point here i i know i've seen some fans trying to defend it as like this is all relevant to boba's journey it's like oh. No, in the most tenuous of senses, yeah, he's aware of Grogu and was part of like his rescue and stuff. But that's not Boba's story. I'll tell you what that reminds me of. You know, there's the, those like degrees removed thing. You know, like the bake Kevin Bacon thing. Um, it yeah, felt a bit like that. It's like, well, if you're like willing to accept like real several degrees of separation, sure. You couldn't even show Boba there as Luke arrived in the finale. So the fact that you've even got Din going back and forth between Luke's Academy and Boba's palace on Tatooine is kind of hilarious. It is funny. Yeah. And just not mentioning to evil one. <laughs> yeah, it's just like so unimportant. It's like, ah, who cares? Um, but yeah, there's obviously other stuff going on in this episode as well. We got um, Cad Bane. Like, did you have any particular response to seeing Cad Bane in live action, Kirsty? I mean, I immediately figured it was him, as sure. you could see him in the distance. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> At that point, it's like, yeah, that all the cameos. cowboy hat is like, oh, yeah, I know who you are. Sorry, I'm being mean, I'm being mean. I know lots of people it, love that character. Right? You know, yeah. it was fine. It's just, yeah, I, I'm not, like, excited to see him. I mean, we saw him pretty recently in... Um, bad batch right yes so you know i, I uh, enjoy when he turns up in the clone wars i uh, my favorite part of him i've said before is actually his droid yeah but you know um yeah it was fine it worked for what they were doing there of the obvious like western elements with Cobb Vanth and his deputy it was fun you know yeah no that stuff is nice and I guess it was good to see a bit more of a return to what I suppose is the main story of the Pikes taking over Tatooine, because yeah. that was obviously just completely dropped in the previous episode, and I'd honestly just kind of forgotten what the main conflict was. So it's like, oh yeah, that's it. Okay, the Pikes are bad, and we need to sort of like get rid of them. The stuff with Cobb is interesting because they're making a point of him being sort of like vulnerable without the armor, um, and obviously now he's been like shot. Yeah, is he gonna get the armor back or something? Yeah, that's a real... what's going to happen to Boba. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Like, well, I thought Cobb was killed, wasn't he? Well, he was shot. I think his deputy was definitely killed, but I have a feeling that Cobb might survive. Yeah, I feel like Just he's probably hunch. a bit too know. significant. Yeah, we'll see. Exactly, time will tell there. Um, and I cannot believe how unceremoniously Garth Whip and her cantina were bloody blown I up. No, that really. Pissed I, I me noticed off. that Max Rebo pointedly was not there, but Garth, yeah, like what? There's no way people survived that, surely. Yeah, honestly, I'm not joking when I say that, like, and there are elements of Boba's story that I enjoyed, but as, like, a character, like, as in a pure character, the one I enjoyed seeing the most in the show today was Gossip Whip. So yeah. just seeing her, like, tossed aside so completely unceremoniously, oh, 
it really pissed me off. It just felt like, well, why have her then? You know, I felt like... Well, I guess they want you to get invested so that when the Pikes do that, it's like, oh, they've really raised the stakes and Boba's going to be out for revenge. And Yeah. And I just feel like it's a shitty use of Jennifer Beals. She was selling that mm. character so well. I kind of wanted her to be the one who was behind, you know, the crime scene. <laughs> I did. They did give you the sense almost that there was more going on there. Yeah. Right? That it was like a front in some way or something. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I guess not. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a shame. It, I'll tell you what it reminded me of. Um, you've seen Game of Thrones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it reminded me of when um, I think Cersei blows up like the Citadel when it's got like all the main prominent people of King's Landing in it at once. Yeah. Um, but it was like a super like rushed and inconsequential <laughs> version of that. So in Game of Thrones it was obviously this huge build up, you know, and it was all incredibly dramatic. Whereas here it was like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, I think they just they knew that they had to come back to the main story and then do something quite shocking leading into the finale. Yeah. I think that's what it was. No, exactly. I just I feel like they could have done it with more gravity than they did, but yeah, I understand the story purpose it's going to serve, so we'll see. Justice for Gossip <laughs> Whip, I guess. Maybe we'll get a prequel about her. Oh, God, maybe. <laughs> or like a novel or a comic or something. Yeah, I would honestly read the Gossip Whip novel. I want to know her story. Although it'll always be sad knowing how it ended. Um, and also, can we just quickly say what a crap teacher Luke is? There's like lots of physical abuse of Grogu going on. Well, I think I that's got to be the point, right? Oh, yeah. No, I've, I've seen a lot of people like, oh they can't be doing this as if it's a good thing. I'm like, well, they're not. Because we know by the time, as we've said, The Last Jedi comes around, he messed up. Yeah. He has regrets. And it it won't just have been with Ben. Yeah. So this is kind of the start of that. Exactly. Obviously, you know, need to wait and see how they frame it. But like when, you know, Grogu's gone and then we know like Ben is technically his first student, it's going to like feel really sinister vibes to me. It's like, he's lost one student. Now he's on the hunt for another <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh no! Yeah, <laughs> it's like, Poor it ben, is grim. Keep him away! <laughs> keep him away! Oh my god! Yeah. So, do you have any expectations at all for the finale, um, Kirsty, coming up in a few days? Um, I'd like a little bit more screen time for Boba and Fennec. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a reasonable desire. <laughs> Me too. Fingers but crossed. no, I don't have any specific expectations because that's. That's not the way to go, is it? No, it's the path to um, disappointment, I think. Um, but yeah, I guess my one hope would be as little Luke as possible. <laughs> I, you know, until you said that, I hadn't really thought that he would show up in the finale. I I do, I mean, I'll prepare myself for it. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I thought that that stuff would be now saved until Mando season three, because I think they were kind of teasing it. Yeah. Um, but I could be wrong. But, Again, you know, he's not going to, like, show up to defend Boba or anything, oh is he? Oh, God, I really hope not. <laughs> Don't even put the idea in my head. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put anything past them. Let's put it that way. Because I thought after last week, you know, like it didn't even cross my mind that we would actually see Din go to Grogu in the next episode. I thought all of that well, would he be did saved say. for Florian. Sorry? He did say, like, oh, first I've got to see a small friend. Yeah, yeah he did, but I kind of... I, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I guess it was kind of inevitable <laughs> at that point. <laughs> yeah. They warned us. Yeah, and also we didn't even talk about like Ahsoka in this thing. Like, so just quickly, like, like that was just so weird the way she's just chilling. Basically, she's just there, and mm. oh god, it was just so contrived. And yeah, like, because the thing is, I don't have any particularly strong feelings about Ahsoka one way or the other. You know, I just indifferent. 
and but I know how much that character means to people and I know a lot of people have really wanted and desired to see her like meet with Luke you know because obviously I know she was the Padawan of Anakin his father you know and that in theory would be a really consequential meeting so it would be I guess like Luke's first time meeting someone and knowingly being aware of the fact that they had a close relationship with his father after knowing that his father also became Darth Vader so obviously I know he had the relationship with Obi-Wan but Mm. that's different and you know it's just like just chilling you know you don't really have any context for why she's there or what the relationship with Luke is like but they have a little oh she's an old family friend she's an old family friend yeah I guess that's but also attachments are bad (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah I'm not a huge fan of that but whatever I I know a lot of people loved it so you just have to laugh Yeah. yeah I've said before, live action Ahsoka, she's not really working for me. I really like that character in the Clone Wars and Rebels. Yeah. Um, but um, none of that is that vibrancy and 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 wit and stubbornness and everything. Like everything that Ahsoka is in animation, she's not really translating to me yeah. in live action, unfortunately. Yeah. No, she's just coming across as a very dour, serious Jedi, unfortunately, which is not fun really to watch. Um, especially when Luke is in a very similar mode. <laughs> it's like, oh god, you people. <laughs> You're driving me nuts. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So, I don't really want to leave it on those people are driving me nuts. Um, but, yeah, this show is just a very strange show. Let's say that. I think that's a safe and kind of neutral comment to make at this point. I know, and it it's funny because like I've seen people theorizing, well, maybe they didn't feel those first few episodes working, so that they thought that these ones were good to go, so they just put these in instead. <laughs> oh and it's like, God. well, no, because like obviously that. they've got the thread of like Fennec coming to him and everything, and obviously they're gearing up on the other side of the story for this big confrontation between Boba and his alliances and and the Pikes. It's just top heavy. It's just like the emphasis is completely different now, and they're obviously doing this like interconnected storytelling, but it feels a bit awkward um, because Luke is just not relevant to Boba's journey at all. Yeah, exactly. And like Boba is like the least Jedi person conceivable. Because even like Boba in and Cobb Vamp, yeah, like he had his armor, but they never met about that. It's not like they have a personal connection just because he bought his armor from the the Jawas. Like, yeah, it wasn't personal. It... Maybe they will meet in the finale. <laughs> I don't know. It would just be a very awkward encounter, wouldn't it? It would be yeah. like, so you're the man who wore my armor. It's like, oh yeah, sorry, I didn't realize it came from anyone in particular. <laughs> They'd be like, okay, no worries. <laughs> now, hopefully that, yeah, I'm not a professional scriptwriter, as you can tell. But as you hinted at earlier, we kind of talked ourselves into like caring about the potential for what they could do with a Boba Fett show. Yeah. And I feel like that episode two really did kind of tease it and like showed that they could go in in an interesting direction. And then it was all kind of just dropped rather unceremoniously. And then they pivoted completely. Um, And it's just, it's kind of a strange boat to be in because it's like, well, I wasn't invested, but then they got me a little and then it's like, (laughs) <laughs> that's not actually what we were going to do and it's like why did you call it the book of Boba Fett yeah so I guess right now it just feels like it's the story of everyone apart from Boba Fett so 
Yeah, they're very, very, very odd. Like, honestly, I haven't really watched any of the behind-the-scenes documentaries. Well, I did watch the Luke one, actually. But the, I know they did other Disney Gallery ones for The Mandalorian, and I've never really watched them. But if they made a, a Disney Gallery Book of Boba Fett episode, I would watch that just to see them justify it, you know, and explain mm. the rationale behind it. Because I want to know. I do not understand. And, yeah, I, I just find it quite interesting. Yeah. It's some weird decisions going on. Yeah. Strange place, Lucasfilm. Strange place. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's round this out. So I'm Rachel and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918. I'm Kirsty and you can find both of us on Twitter at Scavengers Horde. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.